Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone, I'm Emma and this is How Long Have You Got, the Identity Podcast. When you first meet someone, the typical question is often, where are you from? And why shouldn't people be curious about your story? It seems like an innocuous question, but for many of us, it's a loaded one. Often we respond by saying, how long have you got? Because can we really pin it down and does it matter? I'll be speaking to some great people who are quite simply doing great things. People from all walks of life who are willing to share their stories. Of life, of love, of work and more. We'll see where the stories take us and the depths we reach or the heights we attain. Grab a drink, get your walking shoes, or just find your space. How long have you gone? Hi guys, welcome to episode two of How Long Have You Got the Identity podcast. Over time, the conversation around men and men's health and their role in society has become increasingly questioned and and challenged. And I feel like bigger conversations are finally being had. Now, in today's episode, we're particularly interested in hearing about how men's roles have changed and are continuing to change and how gender roles and stereotypes are being challenged. I personally have found in my own experience over the last years that I've become more empowered in my own voice and have had conversations with men that have often challenged them, I think. Um, These conversations have ranged from the topic of sex, what one likes in the bedroom, what one doesn't like, to office politics and just general expectations. And sometimes I wonder if we speak a different language or if perhaps we just aren't listening to each other. Well, I'm hoping our guest today, BBC journalist, host and presenter, Gavin Ramjan, will be able to help us explore this conversation a little further. Gavin is currently one of the main faces of BBC Sport, among plenty of other appearances across the network. His passion for the industry and people has seen him grow this interest by engaging in his motivational talks to youth groups, schools and universities across the country. And this has led him to begin a new chapter in his career with the start of his own network, Manzilla, which is a men's focused news and entertainment platform tackling men's identity and mental health. Gavin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, yeah. Much appreciated. Thanks for the intro. Yeah. What an intro. Absolutely. Well, I hope I did you justice. Yeah, more than did that. That's brilliant. <laughs> no, a... I really appreciate it. Thank you. So, so tell us, Gavin, who are you? That's a, that is a loaded question. Yeah. But tell us your origin story and yeah. how you've come to, to be where you are now. So, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I suppose I should take you back to my childhood. I, I grew up in a working class area of the Midlands uh, in Worcestershire, a place called Kidderminster, where I, uh, where I went to school, born in Worcester. Um, but yeah, very much... Um, you know, um, starting from from humble origins, nothing nothing spectacular, regular, comprehensive, uh, and worked my way through that system, and went to university. Initially, wanted to be a stockbroker. Actually, initially wanted to go into banking and go into like you know the, be the next Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, which uh, probably wasn't the best image uh, of that time. Um, so, but that's what you're attracted to at that age. I think you want you want the good job. You know, the cars, etc. You you kind of want that lifestyle, don't you? And so, you know, eventually I sort of found my way into TV via, you know, by accident in a way. I, I uh, volunteered to be on a, a music uh, video for Question of Sport, a BBC show, when I was in university. 
Uh, I also at the same time was doing a dissertation in the TV world and media world, which got published when I was in my fourth year. And then from there, um, ended up um, networking, becoming a runner for ITV with Anton Deck for Anton Deck Saturday Night Takeaway. Oh, which amazing. Is, yeah, amazing show. place to be back yeah. in the day. Oh my yeah. God, yeah, what a place. It was, <laughs> and they're so great as well, those two, they're brilliant. Um, and that was my first entry bit into the industry in that sense. But in terms of like, uh, and then from there I've done, you know, children's TV and then did um, morning TV for a while and now I'm doing news and now doing sport. Um, and so, yeah, effectively it's been, that's the sort of professional journey. Like origin wise, my folks emigrated from Mauritius in the 70s. Yeah, because I was born in the 80s. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think it was the 70s. Yeah, but basically it was um, pretty much, yeah, that was, that was, you know, they came over for, to work in the NHS. They worked in, um, you know, mental health. So they've been in mental health combined for around 80 years. And um, yeah, I r- was raised in a, you know, very loving and, and you know, great household. I had great friends from school days. You know, there were issues around, obviously, how times were then to what they are now. But, you know, for me, I've, I've, I've had a very, I feel very fortunate with my upbringing in, different, mm. in so many different ways. And, um, yeah, I just sort of feel like, um, you know, my origins have been, you know, quite, uh, you know, quite, quite a sort of like, um, I don't know, I, I like to think I started from the bottom and I'm trying to work my way up. That's kind of how I sort of see this because my parents came here with nothing. Uh, they worked their way up to where they were and then they've put that attitude into me and I sort of feel the same really in that sense and it's the same with my brother as well same with all our family really so yeah. so so talk to me a little bit more about uh migrating away from your wolf of wall street ah. dreams into sort of you know volunteering in the sort of the media sector oh yeah what, what yeah. prompted what prompted that change well gosh I mean you know when you're in that sort of final year of university and what have you um you know you kind of you you sort of you know you're eager to make your mark on the industry you wanted to go into and you know my my first degree was in business and economics and that was kind of like a path which was very well trodden to get into that sector um but i suppose when you get the opportunity to do something you you know i felt really passionate when i was in that that sort of tv world when i was doing that stuff uh, you know i was dancing around to the jackson five with a couple of team gb athletes at the time and it was just like, it was fun. It was a funny, funny day. I loved it. And everyone, the vibe of the place was brilliant. And it was at Cardiff's like BBC Studios as well, which are, which were really good and really great still. Um, they've expanded them now, but back then they were big in the day. Um, so yeah, it was just a, for a, you know, for a 20 year old going there to do that, 21 year old, I think I was 21 at the time. Yeah. So doing that, um, yeah, you sort of get captured by it. You know, it's the whole lights, camera, action side of things. Um, and I thought to myself, well, I think maybe I'll pursue this because I was getting a few more opportunities off the back of that by doing work experience at the BBC. Um, yeah, and I, I kind of felt like, you know, every the doors were opening, basically, in that sense, for that industry. And I always thought to myself, like, you know, I've got a background in in the business finance side of things. So, you know, should I, should this not maybe work out? This wasn't what I was thinking at the time, but if that wasn't to work out, then maybe um, I could kind of have a, you know, I've got a background to fall into. I've got like yeah. a, a specialism to fall into. So, but yeah, I thought like with this, it was just doors were opening at the right times and I was working in, I was working really hard, don't get me wrong. And I was doing all the things under the sun that you can think of to try and get the foot in the door and I was doing it proper, 100%. Um, and so yeah, I just sort of felt like this was a, a good area to be in at that time and I was moving with it. Uh, it's frustrating at times. You see your friends getting grad jobs, like, you know, nicely paid first jobs in, in whatever Absolutely. sector. Yeah. Yeah. And you're still like, I had to do two or three other jobs at the same time. I was working in retail. I was working for the MHRA, uh, the Medicines Health Regulatory Agency. I was doing temp work with like the Alzheimer's Society. I remember at the mm. time, 
Uh, that was just paying the bills just about. And then I was doing TV stuff like on the weekends or three, two or three days a week, you know, on various productions. The Anton Deck one was one of them. And then I did Hell's Kitchen as well, which was another big show at the time. It's not here anymore. It's in, more in America. But uh, back then it was Gary Rhodes and Jean-Christophe Novelli. Before that it was Ramsey. Um, so yeah, like just had to hustle basically. No, and I can totally relate coming from yeah. a, a marketing background. You yeah. know, I have friends who have done the sort of, you know, grad scheme uh, route, yeah. you know, in finance or whatever industry it might be, yeah. um, where perhaps in some ways it's it's a little bit more uh, nuanced. Um, you sort of know what you're getting. Yeah. Um, um, but it's interesting. You touch upon sort of, you know, um, uh, the emotional side of things, right? Yeah. In terms of you, you chose a different um, career path to perhaps mm. what you were expecting to to uh, to choose. And how how do you think that tied in with um, notions of sort of masculinity and yeah. what you should be um, as a man or should be achieving yeah. as a man? You talk about sort of perhaps initially wanting to pursue a career in in finance, yeah. and with that comes you know status, yeah. Um, um, yeah. money. Um, yeah. So, so how did that change? That's a great question. Uh, that's a really good question. I think, um, I think what you have to do is follow your instincts, follow your gut, follow your like what your heart tells you to do. And while yeah, for going down that route, you know, into a sort of specialized high performance career. I mean, don't get me wrong, the media is a high performance career. But when you are starting out, say, like at an investment bank or whatever, you know, in in the finance world, you end up. Um, you basically end up uh, kind of on that path towards, you know, earning money, earning status. And I thought to myself, like, okay, that's quite structured, but I actually feel like I'm, I'm a creative person. And so I felt like my, I was being pulled in a more creative direction at that point in my life. I still do feel like that, don't get me wrong, but I will always sort of follow where I feel it's the right way to go, you know, for your own instinct, because otherwise you'd be unhappy. And I didn't want to be unhappy, especially at that point in my life. I didn't want to be slaving away in some industry where I may not love it, whereas I knew I loved the the creative sector and the TV world and media world at that point. I still absolutely do now to this day, which is a good sign. Um, so yeah, I just I think I think it's about you know at that point the whole masculinity thing wasn't necessarily at the forefront of my mind. But you look back on it now, now that masculinity is more of mm. a mainstream conversation, and you think actually, hang on a minute, maybe I could be earning triple what I'm earning now if I'd have stayed in that path. And then you think to yourself, gosh, maybe I would have been you know, in a different life situation if I'd have gone down that route. And so you do question things maybe now retrospectively, but I think you can do that for any sector in any industry. Yeah. You think if I'd have gone that route, I would have been this or this. Mm. Or this. You never know. You never know. But it's amazing, you know, you talk about happiness and I yeah. think identifying what it is or what it was that was going to potentially make you happy yeah. at such a young age yeah, yeah. is really impressive. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, yeah, well. I, I have to say, because I think there are people who, um, yeah. you know, are coming to their end of their careers who still don't know what makes oh, them makes them happy. Right. But would you say that it was around that time that it was also sort of, you know, um, when you were garnering your first impression of what being a man means or did that come earlier or later in life yeah gosh well this this is yeah it's interesting that i think when it when that comes to when it comes to that sort of idea i do think like my background within the sports world and my background within um you know playing competitive sport has been a factor for that to be honest it's a bit about what a man means it's like when you play competitive sports when you're in the sporting world you're part of like a brotherhood and you're part of like a, a, a band of a band of guys all together working for the same cause to win the match, to do whatever it is in terms of the sport um, that you're in. Um, and team sports particularly, that is. Team sports rather than individual sports, because I know that's a different mindset. But um, 
but you're still part of a team. Um, so sure. in, yeah, mm-hmm. a wider team. But like I think um, with um, with that, I do think it's come from that in, in terms of what I thought of being like manly at that point was, you know, hanging out with the guys, being part of like a group where you are, you know, all bonding together in that moment for whatever it is. Like you know, it could be going down the pub. But for me at that point, when I was forming forming myself, it was probably football and sports. So I played semi professional football and. Um, played for my university football team. I've coached football in America with like, with lots of my teammates and my friends. So I'm I was very much part of that kind of sports bonding culture, which made me feel what the manly side of things was all about, really. Yeah. So that's what I would say is my early impressions of what you know manly stuff would be, really. But it completely is different across the whole board, isn't it? So, so you talk about sport and yeah. connecting it to brotherhood. Um, how how do you feel about what you learned then? Yeah. And how has that impacted on your career to date and the way in which you approach work more generally? Um, so I think with the brotherhood, I think like I say brotherhood, it's like you when you get on with people in a, like a completely alien environment to work, like, a, you know, a social situation or a sports situation, say. Um, the brotherhood becomes more like a you sort of understand each other a bit a bit better. I think you sort of like have a, a like a a different level of communication, um, not just verbally. Like you just get each other more, um, and it's like I think with you know with the whole sort of early masculinity ideas of forming your masculinity, uh, whatever you choose to define masculinity as, I think um, you know those those kind of impressions are really powerful because you don't really get that from many things you really don't you can't force that you can't manufacture it it just has to be you know you're in last minute of the football match you need to score an equalizer or a winning goal and you do it and everyone comes together it's just like part of that common goal binding people together and you can find it in other situations but i think sport is particularly powerful within that brotherhood within that brotherhood mix yeah that's interesting so how like what other outlets do you think are out there for for men who perhaps don't have an interest in sports i mean i think about some of my my guy friends who have their poker clubs, for instance, yeah, at the yeah, moment, yeah. you know, they meet every Saturday religiously, yeah. and that's like boys' night, yeah, right? Of course. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, I know that there are mixed poker clubs as well, but that's yeah. kind of like their thing. They get together, they do that. Yeah. So you know what? It is. I think there are so many of them. You know, you can you can pick like the stereotypical ones, like going down the pub, etc., and you know, nights out, and um, you know that there are so many like kind of hobbies you can do as as guys if you are in the same interested in the same sorts of things. Where you find that path is interesting because I think it's like, for me, it was very much like my school days and then carried on to university days. And my tribe has stayed consistent within that. And that's kind of who I am. I'll always, you know, I'm completely diverse as a character and person. I have friends from all over the spectrum and all over the kind of social mix. So it doesn't necessarily mean that that's your only tribe. It's the only people you hang out with. That's your only kind of culture. Sure. Um, I think the more exposed you are to certain ideas and like hobbies and cultural pursuits... Um, the more chances you have to bond with people. And for men now, that's changed completely. That is a totally different ball game now. Um, I think it's you have more opportunities to find your calling in that sense. So you can find your manliness or find your masculinity from so many areas now. Do you, do you think that um, there is an exaggeration of stereotype behavior that is linked to being masculine? I mean, if we talk about hyper-masculinity, for example, mm. you talk also about... Um, sort of guy hobbies or yeah. um, you know what, what, do, what do you what do you think about that um the hyper masculinity angle is interesting because um i think previously you you had um you had this outdated notion of what you know what a man should be like you know back in the 80s say um 
you know, this is just from my learnings of what I do with Manzilla and like, you know, the podcast we do, we have, have various guests from all over the, the kind of mix of what we try and do with men's mental thinking and men's mental health and, you know, all the kind of issues around like, um, you know, those kind of topics that men maybe could and should discuss. Um, but hypermasculinity, I think, is often associated with quite a lot of negativity as well. Um, because the whole sort of caveman, alpha male, um, old school way of being like a guy, like a man, you know, you have to be the hunter-gatherer, you have to be the one who delivers, you have to be the one who um, is the, you know, the life and soul of the party. You've got all these pressures and all these things on what is supposed to be you as a man. And if you don't live up to that, you can you can fall down. And so that is, that I think is a, is a huge issue right now. So hyper-masculinity, I think is, it can be a good thing in a way that it charges you and, and drives you on to be a better guy or a better person. Um, but at the same time, you can often um, f- come and stuck with it, I think. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a different, it's a, I think it can be quite tough to define what, what, you know, what the benefits of that are. Absolutely. And I think, you know, just going back to this concept of hyper-masculinity in relation to sports specifically, yeah. there are, are a lot of hypermasculine uh, perceived sports. If we take football, for example, yeah. um, I don't believe there's a current Premier League uh, player to date that's come out as LGBTQ plus. I-, I could be mistaken, while still active in the field, at least. Yeah. Um. And how how do you think that um, spaces can be created in these spheres that allow everybody to live out their their multiple identities? comfortably yeah i think it's a a good question you raise and there are you know lots of initiatives now that are promoting better inclusion for lgbtq plus audiences um a sport has traditionally been quite bad at, at, at and you know at making that environment quite a safe one for for lgbtq plus people um but i think they are making you know efforts to change that it's still you know if you go on the terraces in football matches you will still hear terrible things said and that goes for the racial side as well you know you still hear a about racism which is happening on social media and in real life to various footballers and, and people. Um, so there's still a lot of work to be done on that front. But I do think that, you know, creating that, you know, environment where, um, you know, people can feel comfortable talking about LGBTQ plus issues and racial issues and religious issues, all these, you know, typically, you know, unspoken things, if they can be, um, you know, made to if they can if they can be if people can feel empowered about talking about those in a confident way that's not going to offend people that's not going to you know um exclude an audience then that is to be promoted massively i know we've recently done stuff on the bbc with um lgbtq plus month for um a lot of you know historical aspects around those sorts of stories and the personalities that are doing so well within those worlds and more of that is needed because i think people need to be educated a lot to be honest no, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, on the topic of colour, yeah. how how do how does being a non-white man in a predominantly white environment like the BBC, yeah. um, you know, when we're talking around the, the topics of, of, of uh, careers, um, how does that impact your notion and understanding of masculinity and manhood more generally? Yeah, so it's a, again, like this is a a really, really like, you know, it's it's a, a really fluid question because it's changed again so much over the years. Like I remember when I was starting out and, um, you know, it, it's traditionally been fairly bad in, in the media, I'd say, in terms of like non-white members of people, non-white, non-white people, non-white people of colour in positions where they're seen on screen or in management. And that's the same for a lot of creative worlds, you know, advertising and, and you know, marketing and lots of other sectors like, you know, 
even in like places like the NHS in management anyway it's Absolutely. not it's not like as diverse as you might think but anyhow like um when it comes to that side of things like when I was starting out I remember a lot of people were saying you know when I would go on shoots say they would kind of question like oh are you the uh are you the, the runner or are you the producer the basically the person behind the scenes and I was just like well no I'm actually the presenter or the reporter like you know and then they, they would often be surprised by that and I'm like, well, yeah, you know, it's it's all it's always like a, a little a little stereotype that someone might have in their head. They may not be conscious of it. It's a lot. There's a, so much unconscious bias around, um, and I do find that you know a lot of places are are still battling those unconscious biases. I think um, that's right, and I think it begs the question of you know unconscious bias. Will we yeah. ever overcome it? I think as human beings, you I know, know, it's tough, isn't it? It's down to stereotypes. I think it's down to what, yeah. Yeah, what people have as preconceived notions of what a person is and who they are, Absolutely. judging by what they look like or their race or their religion or whatever it is. Yes. It's just so much assumed like knowledge around people and around things. That's it. It's assumed yeah. knowledge. But then it's also, you know, whether or not um, or how people choose to act upon their yeah. assumed knowledge, I mm. feel. I mean, uh, I'm not a person of colour. Um, yeah. you know, I'm a white uh, female uh, yeah. with a Swedish passport and now a British one, which is very exciting. Yeah. But, you know, I've, I um, I also get um, stereotyped and, and put into a box, um, yeah. especially in the workplace where people take a look at your CV and they look at the academic institutions yeah. you've attended and they judge you based on the accent you have. I mean, yeah. don't let it fool you, it's American. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but, but I've grown up in nearly... 10 different countries and have come from a multinational household and I would like to think and hope that my diversity of thought counts for something yeah. but unfortunately that's not the first thing that um people um see or will come into uh yeah to contact with this is it um, yeah totally I mean, I mean like when you look at you know what the initiatives are and you know what people are doing in terms of better representation across the board like you know the BBC is make that they're you know they have stated that they want to improve you know, representation along the lines of race and gender and and disability. So there are, you know, loads of things that are going on to try and change things. But it's sort of like chipping away at the iceberg. You've got to, you know, if you if the intention is to crumble the iceberg, that is. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, a, it's a process. That has to happen not just in one sector. It has to happen across the board in order to achieve better, you know, inclusion and representation all over, really. So that's that's how I see it. Like... It, you know, th there are movements being made now to try and improve things, but historically, I don't think it has been as good as it could be. Yeah. And everybody, I think, is it's not, again not just media, or not just like TV. It's it's there are all the creative industries are like that, and that might be for many socioeconomic reasons. Yeah, no, I think that 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 is a very valid point. And yeah. talking about um, you know, diversity more broadly, and drawing the yeah. the um that the, the uh, discussion back to uh men yeah. more specifically. Um, what do you think women need to know about men? That, oh. that is a loaded question, I yeah. know, but I think speaking from my own personal experience, yeah. many women have an expectation of what a man should be, you know, the sort of provider, protector, progenitor. Um, yeah. how, how do you think that resonates with men today? So, yeah, wow, what, a, what an amazing question. Um, you know, I, I speak from just my experience of within the Manzilla brand, which I formed because I wanted to help guys through change like with changing environments changing you know work workplaces changing personal lives you get to a point you know i'm in my mid to late 30s now yeah hanging on in there <laughs> uh, but um yeah and i feel like uh, this generation is my generation effectively is um being at the forefront of a lot of change um in terms of like how a guy kind of previously was a previous outdated stereotype of a guy like when we were in our 20s 
what a man was then to what it is to what a man is now and it's changing massively and you know i would say that um you know men tend to yeah men have needs basically men have needs it sounds like i'm sort of like going oh poor men but it's absolutely not like that at all um and a lot of guys will bottle things up a lot of guys will keep things under their hat and they won't tell they won't tell people their issues they won't tell people their problems men getting men talking openly about stuff is a real issue and that's what leads to a lot of mental health problems just from the the podcasts and from the learnings that i've had from my my current subset of people so yeah there's so much that um i think i think if you're sort of saying to if i was to say to you know to, to women um you know what you, what do you expect from from your man or from men in general um it's just that you know often men will have feelings that they may not voice to you and it's just to be aware of that sometimes, you know, sometimes, sometimes they will voice it and it might come out wrong and it might be a little bit, you know, inappropriate, maybe not, not in a, in a crude sense, but just like they may say stuff that they kind of think, oh, what did I say that for? Um, or they, yeah, just, they might not be as eloquent perhaps as, as women because they're not used to vocalizing as much. Sure. Some men that is. Do, do you think then that, you know, these gender stereotypes, woman is emotional, man is strong, yeah. mean that men feel like they cannot be vulnerable um, and show their emotions or are we implicitly saying that men are stronger or you know have they just yeah. learned to disguise and repress their emotions I mean I think about yeah. examples of um, you know uh, my family life and, and my father and I think mm. m many of our listeners and perhaps even yourself Gavin will be able to relate I don't know how many times I've, I've seen my, my, my father cry I can certainly count them on one hand yeah I'm, I mean maybe two three times that I can I can recall yeah um, or when I you know, reflect reflect back on my my work experiences. You know, of sort mm. of uh, losing a pitch and and how men and women, um, yeah. you know, react differently um, in 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 the in the yeah. office space. Um, yeah. Using a trivial example, but just something that sort of comes to mind right now. So. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's um. Yeah, I do think. Uh, yeah, I I do think like kind of men from previous generations have been more accustomed to. Um, keeping like saving face, keeping like appearances up, uh, not letting emotions show, being kind of like you know a bit of a caveman. Effectively, I'm not calling you dad a caveman. Just, just, just put that out there. Um, uh, God no. Um, but I do think like men of that generation are told to you know suck it up and get on with it, brush it into the carpet, forget about it. You know, and it's it can be it can be good in in terms of building resilience perhaps because you sort of just get used to you know taking knocks maybe. But not everyone's like that. Some people it causes trauma. And the trauma is what will what will eat away at people, and that can be a problem as you get older. I find that I mean, the I'm not sure the exact statistics, but one of the biggest killers of men under forty is suicide, and so you know that is often attributed to traumas that haven't been dealt with before and issues that kind of can come up um, with you know various you know problems with the psych that a man might have. So yeah, I mean, it, nowadays I think it's improving. We've still got a long way to go, but you know men i think normalizing men talking is becoming um you know more and more popular which is great yeah which i think is great i mean there's a fine line between being vulnerable and too vulnerable and a fine line between being too um detached so it's about finding that balance really and i think that's that's the key to it really which sounds like it's probably quite a difficult yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It really challenge is. Really? men of a certain generation won't go too vulnerable either you'll find generally speaking again yeah. generally speaking like you know if anyone over maybe 45 50 perhaps will not be as liberal thinking as say uh someone in their 20s or 30s so and and how do women come into play i mean i think you know over time yeah. yes there has been um 
more dialogue, more open dialogue for yeah. for for men yeah. um to to um to talk about their their feelings. Um but what's happened um do you think uh with um more empowerment for for women? What how does this impact on men? Um I think that a lot of guys um can sometimes feel threatened by that with the with the deserved and much needed um adoption of better representation for women of yeah of women in 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 senior positions particularly but also just in general in society the better standing of women uh, a lot of guys might have an issue with that because they may feel under threat and a lot of like you know what i try and do with the manzilla platform is to make sure to, to get guys feeling comfortable in their own skin and their own their own like identities um and the rise of the rise in power of women is one much needed and two um you know seen as something that can threaten something that a man has maybe worked for all their life so it's i think what you've got to do is embrace it effectively you've got to you've got to see people as allies they're not enemies they're they are very much i say they um <laughs> they as in women people mm. of color different people of, of religious beliefs etc um it, it's you know it's anyone who you may think is different to you um, if you have them, if you have them, if you have them as allies, you have them on, on the same page as you, then, you know, it's a collaborative way of being and that's the best way to go with it. Cause otherwise you're just gonna, you're gonna go into, you're gonna run into problems and you'll just end up becoming bitter, adversarial, and you'll end up, um, falling foul of your, you know, you know, just general society, I think. Well, I would agree with all this, but how, you know, what could a man do to, to improve himself? Well, you mean like in terms of what, just like mental health or, or standing or in what sense? Generally, like, how, how do, yeah. how can men, you know, you talk about allies or allies yeah, yeah. rather, you know, to, to women, oh, okay. to the LGBTQ yeah. plus, um, you know, how can they be better allies? How can they better themselves? How can they do all these things and still be secure in themselves? Um, I think that you just need to, um, as I think what men need to do effectively is, um, take a step away and look at the situation and maybe like sort of deprioritize the ego a bit. Um, I think deprioritizing the ego is a huge thing. Um, often, you know, the proud man, the kind of, you know, the alpha man, if you like, dominates a lot of the thinking when it comes to men's, men's health and men's status and mental health, particularly mental health. Um, this again is just from my learnings from my sub, my demographic group and the podcast situations that we talk about. Cause we talk about all sorts of issues within the podcast to do with, you know, you know, dating relationships, um, you know, men's conditions, you know, body image, um, you know, diet, fitness. Um, and it's like all these kind of issues, you know, that, I mean, we go like in on like an area of it, but you just get to learn that, you know, most of the time guys are, they're effectively quite simple creatures. Um, and I mean that in the nicest way because it, it doesn't, you know, you, you you give us a, a problem we'll try and find a solution quite simply um and there are so many kind of like uh ideas around that that you know in order for guys to be better it's trying to take a step away from the kind of like old ways of thinking and just get on board with the newer ways and to try and embrace change and it's difficult because a lot of people don't like change not just men could be you know a lot of women are the same with with change change is a thing that a lot of us don't like inherently but you know when it's forced upon us we have to adapt we look at the current situation with the pandemic and everyone is having to do things differently. Um, if 
if everything else is changing around you as well as like the current environment with the with the pandemic then you've got to be able to cope and adapt to that so i think guys just need to effectively learn how to be able to change and adapt and be just be different and be more open it's hard though it's hard because what right now everyone is in a very it's in a bunker mentality i think yes. and you've got to just try and get through that yes and it's a, it's a big ask especially when you're talking about the ego mm. um you know how does one put yeah. the male ego aside i mean women have egos too absolutely yeah. um it's it's a tall order but how does a man put aside his ego to yeah to make room for all these great yeah. things that you've talked about um yeah um it's tough because the ego is built up over time i suppose um you know i suppose it's you know everyone everyone again like everyone's personality is different everyone's ego is different everyone's self-esteem issues are different and everyone's trauma is different so you look at all those like factors there and you've got like an absolute mix really haven't you um so the kind of like way to do it i think is probably to just sort of you know i guess adapt the thinking and maybe trying different things taking yourself out of your current environment maybe like just trying something new meeting new people um yeah basically it's just challenging your own mindset it's it's a really like i mean there are so many like ways to go about this and probably like a you know like a a psychotherapist might have better ideas or like a psychologist might have more of an insight um but judging from what i've listened to and heard i would suggest maybe doing something that takes you out of your comfort zone because a comfort zone is an easy place to to kind of drive in you know you're you, you're kind of always able to stay in your comfort zone and do all right and keep going but taking yourself out of that can often feel uncomfortable so that's what i think maybe could help with the ego but it, it's hard i think taking a crash could be taking a fall taking a hit can often help the ego sometimes if you've got too much success too much thing too many things taking you up and up and up and up that's interesting. So would you say then, if you're talking about, you know, a crash and taking yeah. a hit, I mean, the last year has certainly been, Yeah. I mean, it's been positive for many people, but yeah. it's also been a huge crash and a hit for, for yeah. many people. Yeah. So how has the last year, in, in your opinion, um, impacted um, the perspective on, on men and, and mental health um, generally? Uh, I think it's been horrendous. I think it's been absolutely horrendous, not just for men, but people in general. Like, I think it's, you know, everyone, I say, I, say, I think I say this pretty comfortably with, um, you know, the the, pan, the pandemic and everything, the fallout from it has just been devastating because it could affect people financially. It could affect people from a mental health perspective. You know, you just don't see people as much. Life is just on a standstill. Um, but particularly for guys, I think it can, you know, if you're used to a certain way of living, used to a certain life, you know, if you're having to live with your partner, um, if you're stuck with your family for however long it is, then all those can contribute to a bit of a breakdown in ego. You know, mm. you might just lose yourself and losing yourself is where a lot of the problems occur. Um, so yeah, I do think like with all that change, all of that, that, um, that kind of instability, um, people are, can losing, are losing their sense of selves and people are losing like who they are. And it can take a while maybe to, if you've, if you've got a strong belief in who you are, then you may bounce back quicker. But if you are a kind of, uh, if you're not, if you're not of that ilk, then it might take you a while and it might take, a, a, you know, I say you men and women, it's, it's kind of the whole, whole shebang really. So it sounds like this, um, this crash or this sort of, you know, turbulent and a turbulent experience yeah. or something that throws you slightly off kelter could be a good thing potentially to your ego, or it could mm. be a bad thing depending on 
you know how you are as yeah a person um yeah i think it's a really difficult one to answer that because you have um you know some people if they have a crash a huge crash say or like a you know a, a real obstacle that comes their way and you know they 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 may struggle to recover their like kind of like vision or their form or whatever it is um and i think that you know it's a lesson for all of us um because you you learn through adversity don't you um and so i think that you know if you until you go through something like that you don't know how you're going to react you are this it's the sink or swim philosophy i guess um and i do think that you know personally i feel that having the ego ruined every once in a while is a good thing i really mm-hmm. do because if you don't have that if you only have the good times then you are you're not as prepared for when the bad times come because there will always be bad times and as a guy, I think, because he's so used to trying to be proud, trying to keep up appearances, this is a, a, a bit of a previous way of thinking about things. But if you have that notion still about being the, the certain type of guy that lives like that, you have a crash like that, it can really affect you. Well, But sport is really good for that because you have to take the ups and downs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why a lot, a lot of sportsmen succeed in business and do really well in professional life. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, well, and well, sportsmen as well. Well, well that's interesting. Um what would you then say gavin and i know i'm i'm uh you know picking on you a bit mm. here but um what was your moment of change that forced you to reckon with yourself and with your ego and to understand your self esteem oh great question i'm not as good as i think i am <laughs> quite simply mm. um going from you know you know when you start out in, in the media and in tv particularly um if you start from the bottom you learn a lot about how to engage in a production engage with everyone every, all the people on it so you have to learn how to get on with people relationships wise you can't really fall out with anyone you have to get on you have to make things work so i remember like with anton deck like it was just you were liaising with senior producers you'd be liaising with them you liaised with the celebrity guests you had to and you had the audience and you had participants in various things you had to make it all work um going through through that you kind of learn like what it takes to be able to get on with people and I think like there's been a few challenges in my career personally where I've, I've, I have a little bit of imposter syndrome about me personally. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but wherever I am, whatever situation I'm in, I always think, how the hell am I here? Or like, what am I doing here? Um, and I do think that there's been a couple of occasions where I've thought, I'm not good enough to do this. I'm not good enough to do this job or whatever. And then, you know, sometimes you may come up against um, some a tough boss, say, who challenges you. Uh, and that's not a bad thing at all. That's a really good thing. But if you have a, a someone who is on you, making you the best you can be because the brand is the brand values are so high, um, then that can often often be the way where you learn how to become better. Because you know it's it's a tough industry. It's a really really tough industry. Journalism, television particularly. You know it might look all like glamour and all like you know all all kind of like singing and dancing and look all really like great fun and a great industry to be in but it is graft it is really it is really hard graft there's, there's like you know for every hour of great tv you see there's been about 10 hours of incredibly hard preparation for it at least well we know that with our podcast session today yeah. which we had to uh, re-record yeah, thanks no, to technical like, issues so. uh, that's right well, that's that's <laughs> a minor problem that's that's nothing yeah. compared to what you know yeah. what else you need to go through to to get to do things well well I th- that's that's absolutely right and yeah. you know i think we, we were we were talking about balance yeah, as yeah, a theme yeah. um yeah. you know before we we jumped on air yeah, and yeah. i think it's certainly um 
a theme that has been tested over the yeah. last year um, because we don't have boundaries in the yeah. same way that we had before, mm. whether they be physical or emotional. People are arguably working mm. longer hours. There are blurred lines between you know, families, the office, um, yeah. working out, whatever it is. Um, but how do you know as an individual, whether you're a man or a woman or, you know, they, um, how, how do you know when to sort of stop pushing yourself? Um, where, where's the, Oh, that's a, that's another one where I think, um, you know, you, you kind of, I think there's a tendency to, for, for burnout culture at the moment. Um, Yes, we I, hear that a lot. Burnout yeah, culture, burnout, burnout culture, yeah. culture. Yeah, I don't think it's a men's issue though. I think uh, I think it's kind of all around. I think it's mm. all around that. Mm. Um, so I do think that you know, learning to just check in on yourself, like treat your mental health like your physical health. That's what I would say to that. Um, but yeah, I don't think that's specific to men. I think I think women are just just as um, culpable when it comes to burnout culture for sure. Maybe in you know back in the day when it was the men doing more of the work, etc. But I do think now, you know, people are on this hustle train, aren't they? So it does, it does feel like people are trying to just, you know, I understandably so, you know, the times we live in, it's very competitive. People are kind of, you know, wanting to do the best they can. And there comes like, you know, status with that as well. Like, oh, I've worked X amount of hours this week. So you feel like, oh, right, well, next week I'll have to do a couple more hours or something. But do you, think really that, do you think that is more of a male thing? than a female yeah, thing. Yeah, possibly, possibly, actually. Um, yeah, I guess it goes back to maybe the city trading days, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe, again, like, just, just talking from what I what I see from my cultural influences and films and, you know, and, and other media consumption, I do feel like um, maybe back in those times it was easier for, you know, the men did most of the work, supposedly. So you think, like, if you, if you the more work you do, the more money you earn, the more status you have, etc., so perhaps it comes from that. Perhaps I'm not. I'm not entirely sure about where the origins of that would be. But yeah, I guess so. I guess you you kind of see, you know, the, you know, and I guess if you go back even further when you know it was left to women to keep the household, etc., then the men would stay out and work later, etc. Mm. So you mm. have those kinds of issues around it. But again, I think that would be more for a, a gender psychologist slash historical person to <laughs> analyze but my yeah my take on it is that probably that burnout culture is probably to blame for a lot of things so where do you think as we round off this episode where do you think the conversation should be going in terms of men women yeah being men being allies to you know the lgbtq plus community and yeah. others yeah um men and mental health what what would be your key takeaway um i think um my key takeaway, I think, would be, um, I got a couple basically. I got a couple. Yeah, yeah. So shoot. one is like I talked about it briefly earlier about the vulnerability side of things, the spec, the scale of vulnerability. Um, so the scale of vulnerability being like you know if you look at um, if you look at kind of where you know you are on the vulnerability like kind of seesaw, like being too vulnerable can make you seem a little bit too weak, perhaps less masculine. If, you, if masculinity is kind of a definition. And being the other side where you're like not vulnerable at all, you can become like some detached robot, you know? So it's definitely trying to find that mix of where that lies with various issues. Um, and I also think like an- another really, really important one uh, to take away is to not be afraid to like fail, to, to embrace fallibility, you know, embrace being, um, you know, something, you know, embrace being 
um, not successful at stuff because that's how you learn and grow um, from my learnings, from my understandings. Like you see like where, you know, where things don't work out is where you can kind of pivot and take it a different angle or, you know, relearn something or, or try better next time. Um, but a lot of people are scared of failure because of the ego. Again, it's down to the ego, down to, you know, many other things, but the ego is the, is the factor where, you know, if you don't, if something doesn't work out, then your ego will take the hit. And that a lot of people are scared of that. So I think it's not being afraid to hurt the ego, not being afraid to fail and not being afraid to be vulnerable. Those are the key, I think, things to take away, really. I think three really amazing <laughs> things to take away. And yeah. certainly, I think, you know, three lifelong activities to mm. take away and work on for oh, men and women broad. alike. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But Gavin, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure having you with us today. And Thanks, um, I very much look forward to carrying on the conversation at yes, a later date. Definitely. Thank you very much, Gavin. Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Thanks for joining us for this week with Gavin. If you're interested in men's mental health, be sure to look at Manzilla. Stay tuned for episode three in two weeks' time when we welcome Shelby Sells, love, sex, and relationship expert and certified transformational life coach. How Long Have You Got is hosted by me, Emma Blackmore, and co-produced with B. Pizarra Aparizio. Sound design by Billy Clark. Music by The Amazing Parallels. And cover art by Milena DeLuca. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all soon.